Hey, Westside family, Jake Gilbert here, one of the leaders in charge of our media department. Thanks for joining us for today's message. We hope you are blessed by what God has been speaking to us through our pastors and leaders, and we pray this leads you into an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. We love you guys, and enjoy. So today's message is called Ready and Chosen, or Chosen and Ready. It's kind of of an extension of what I talked about last week. Uh, My message last week was when men fight. And so this is an extension of that, but it's also uh, to everyone. It's to male and female, to women uh, and men. So anyway, getting to the point, there are instances on our journey of faith that God chooses because of what a person does naturally uh, on their daily routine as opposed to what that person may have been prepared for. There are times we are specifically prepared for a specific job, but then there are times when God just calls us up not because we have been specifically trained or specifically readied for something, just because what we do on the daily has readied us and put us in a position to be chosen for whatever God has for us to experience, receive, or do. Can you look at somebody and say, your daily is important? Look at somebody else on the other side of you and say, your daily is important. So we have a few examples uh, to look at. Noah, the Bible says, was a righteous man and that he preached righteousness in an evil setting. He wasn't preparing to build a boat. He wasn't preparing to go sailing. He wasn't preparing to go gather a bunch of Uh, animals and to go what he went through to be the deliverer that he was but it was his daily that caused God to raise him up and be the man that he was another person is Moses Moses was in Pharaoh's house so he was about 40 years old Uh, at about 40 years old uh, one of his brothers was being mistreated by an Egyptian He rose up and hit the dude in the head with a brick, killed the dude. You know, our heads can't handle the force of a brick. And then he fled to the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for another 40 years. So you see, hey, he had this experience in Egypt. He also had experience in the wilderness, and he just had a heart for his brothers. He was not preparing to be a deliverer. He didn't know he was called to be a deliverer, but God called Moses up and said, I want you to go and set my people free. Why? Because of what he had done on the daily. See, what's important is not what you do when you come to church. What's important is what you do Monday through Saturday. 
It don't really matter how loud you get when somebody preaches. It don't really matter how much you give when we receive the offering. It don't really matter how much and how crazy you get when you start praising the Lord or come join a little prayer circle or start shedding some, shedding some tears or saying hallelujah. That don't really matter when the rubber meets the road. What really matters is what you do on a daily basis between you and God and how you treat another brother or another sister. Come on, are you breathing this morning? Another example, and I'm going to kind of hit a side note here. Ever so often, I try to throw in an extra little something or another uh, when I'm given the opportunity, and I got a real good opportunity right here. But let me just read to you about uh, Stephen, the deacon. Acts 6.1 says this, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows was being neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. That's a daily Full of the Holy Spirit, that's a daily. And wisdom, that's a daily. Whom we may appoint over this business, the practical side of ministry. But we will give ourselves continually, consistently, diligently, most of the time to prayer and the ministry of the word. So let's go to the daily first Stephen was chosen not because he was a favorite. Stephen wasn't chosen just because he was in the circle of the apostles. No, Stephen was ready and he was chosen because what he did on the daily. Can I get another ride on or something? Now the little extra I want to throw in here to you. Let me just hit the side note here. Has to do with what people expect their pastor to do in regards to responsibilities and duties. Throughout church history, organized modern church history, let's say over the last 100 plus years, maybe 200 years, I know I know around about 100, there has been a great expectation for the pastor to be the preacher, for the pastor to be the prayer person, for the pastor to be the janitor, for the pastor to be the custodian, for the pastor to be the landscaper, for the pastor to be the, uh, the counselor, for the pastor, to be to, the pastor to be the visitor, for the pastor to do all these things. And what it does for the pastor is it wears the pastor down, it stresses the pastor out, it keeps the pastor from being able to pray, from being able to study the word, and being able to proclaim the word as he should, and Technically, what it has done, it has created a bunch of weak pastors that lead weak churches that has no power to do what God has called them to do in the world. 
Oh, you looking at me like I ain't saying something that's truth. But the Bible is truth. The Bible right here says there is people in the church that should take care of the practical responsibilities, but the lead of the shirt of the church should be praying, studying the word, and preaching the word so the power of God can manifest from the word. And what's bad is preachers, when they focus on this, they get a bad rap, an unfair rap. What the rap they get is they lazy. They don't want to work. They don't want to get dirty. They don't like to clean toilets. So they ask Bob to clean the toilets. Come on. The scripture says, and I just read it to you, it's the truth. People in my position has a primary focus. That isn't to feed you physically. That isn't to visit you. That isn't to call you when you're missing. But that is to pray for you, to preach to you, and to allow God to work through me or another pastor so the power can manifest in you when the need is at hand. All right, I'm going to move on because I know that has hit a blank wall. Say what you want to say. Feel how you want to feel. Interpret how you want to interpret. But it's kind of black and white, right? Sometimes, now I can get on a bandwagon when it comes to this. Sometimes that expectation is on the pastor because, number one, the pastor gets a paycheck. But number two, it's because the people in the church don't want to do what they're called to do. So they take this and be, oh, we paying the pastor such and such a week, so they need to do all this. It don't work that way. It doesn't work. Can you look at someone and say it doesn't work that way? It works that way if you want a weak church. It works that way if you want a stressed out, pressed down, weak preacher. That, that, that's when it works. But if you want an anointed man of God, you better step up. And you better do what you need to do so the preacher can do what he needs to do. That's how God set it up. Amen. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. That was my, my, my little, let's t- take a left turn or left turn and then come back around. So what we do on the daily can determine if we are ready for what God has for us. And if we can be chosen for what God needs from us. Let me say that again. What we do on the daily determines whether we are ready for what God has for us. And that's what he has for us. That's the blessings. That's the power. That's the revelation. That's this intimate relationship that we have with God. Like what he has for us. If you want to be ready for what God has for you, then what you do on the daily is important. But it also determines if you can be chosen or not. Many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus said that a couple of times in Matthew. And even though it kind of goes in different directions each time he said it, the the foundation, the premise of that phrasing is based off a choice. Many are called, few are chosen. Why are few chosen? Because... Only few 
do what they need to do every day to be chosen when God needs them. Hooyah! Boy, I get that kung fu kick on that one right there. I'll punch somebody in the lip with that word. So we have a story in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. When God was raising up an army, and he chose a single man to do it. And this is part of Gideon's story. We're not going to cover all of Gideon's story. There's a plethora of details in that that would take us way too long today. But we're going to look at this small moment, this very important moment, when God was using Gideon to raise up an army because Israel was under constant attack, losing everything they had. Now, they was losing everything they had because of their choice. The Bible says they cried out to God. God came to them, and God was like, hey, you're going through this because you're disobeying me. But still, nonetheless, God's mercy and grace came through, and God was raising up a man to raise up an army so that Israel could be victorious once again. So let me read to you. Got a few scriptures, a few verses to read right here. Judges 7, verse 3 through 7. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. I'll bring context to this in a second. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them there for you. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you. The same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. The Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who lapped putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you. And deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. From 32,000 down to 301 is substantial. And they're technically wasn't in battle with just one group of people. If you read the story in context, you will see that there was about three types of people that they were in battle with, and they were massively outnumbered. But yet God had a reason to choose the 300 that he chose. He chose the 300 because they were ready And they were in position to be chosen. In other words, 
their dailies was in order. I think we got some kind of reverb or some echo going on. If you can fix that, please. So Israel was under attack. They wasn't just dealing with the threat. Now, hear, hear what I'm about to say. We can apply this to our daily. See, there's a difference when you're under a threat, when you're at war, and or you're under attack. We're always under a threat. Sometimes we are at war, and then some days we are absolutely under attack. Threats has to do with what could happen, what the enemy could do to you. War is what's going to happen. And then an attack is what is happening. Let me, let, let me say that again. A threat is what could happen. A war is what's going to happen. An attack is what is currently happening. So the thing about these three instances that we find ourselves when it comes to our spiritual battle is that each encounter requires a different type of positioning, mindset, and action on our part. Like you don't act the same way when you are dealing with a threat as opposed to when you're under an attack. If you act the same way when you are dealing with a threat, when you are under attack, guess what? You're going to lose the battle. Like, you know that there is bad people in your community, and those bad people are a threat to maybe you, your home, your belongings, your family, etc. And hopefully you are prepared. But if they was to come inside of your space, inside of your domain, if they was to try to take control of your territory, that means you would be under an attack. When you're under threat, you can still maybe chill out and watch a little TV. But when you are under an attack, there ain't no TV watching. When you're under a threat, you can sit down and have dinner with the family. But when you are under an attack, there ain't no sitting down having hamburgers and french fries and some chocolate pie at the end of it. You understand what I'm saying? There is a difference in how we live and choose and function according to whether there is a threat, a war, or an attack in our lives. So Israel was in conflict. It says in Judges 6.33, Now all the Midianites and all the Amalekites and the people of the east came together. Here's the kicker. They crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. In other words... They had made their way into Israel's territory. They had encamped 
in a very, very important space in Israel land, and they was about to steal, kill, and destroy. But God was raising up an army. He was raising up an army of people who had faith and who was ready. Now, to find out if there was the faith that was needed, he simply asked a question of 32,000 people. Via Gideon, there was a question asked. If you are afraid and if you are fearful, if that is you, pack up, settle your business, and go home. The opposite of faith is what? Fear. Disbelief. Very simple. But then God went a little bit deeper. He not only needed to know if people had faith, he needed to know if these men were ready. Just because you have faith doesn't mean you're ready to fight. Faith does not equate fighter. I've seen a lot of people have the faith. They praising loud until hell gets louder. They give into the church until finances get thin. They doing right as long as everything's done right to them. They loving you as long as you pleasing them. But as soon as hell rises, as soon as the devil comes in the door, as soon as somebody does something that maybe you don't like, you don't feel good about, or maybe hurts your feeling a little bit, all of a sudden the fight leaves. And some people tuck tail like a dog. And just run on out the door. See, just because you got faith don't mean you got fight. Because you can have faith in God and, and never talk to God. You can have faith in God and never go to church. You can have faith in God and never, ne never receive revelation, never be used of God. Like you can have faith in God. Satan has faith in God. Amen. Demons have faith in God. False prophets have faith in God. Bad churches have faith in God. Bad preachers have faith in God. Bad churchgoers, bad saints, they have faith in God. But when something rises and we need a fighter, all of a sudden, like a dog. That's how our dog sounded in the country when I was being raised and we hit them with a piece of wood or shot them with the BB gun or something like that to get them off the property. Or sometimes we just wanted to be mean. We'd be like, let's hear that dog scream. <laughs> you country folk, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You, 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 you new generation country folk, man, you, you're like, oh, that's cruel. That's cruel. That's cruel. It was cruel, but it was funny, too. It was real funny. Sorry, Lorana. She's, uh... My wife was raised in a subdivision. She ain't no clue. She has no clue. I'm, I'm sorry, baby. Sorry. Let's move on. Let's move on. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get a different truth at home, so let's move on. But to see if these 
soldiers or these men were ready, God gave them a drinking test. He said, have them go down and get a drink. So basically, they drank two different ways. One group stuck their head in the water. In order to do that, most likely their hands were planted on the ground as well. Their head was down. They lost important sight for a bit to drink. The others, the Bible says, used their hands. Partially bent, heads in the water, hands in the water, excuse me. The Bible actually says hands, so they most likely did this. They drew the water out of the river, brought it up to their mouth, and they actually like dogs. There was a right way to drink and a wrong way to drink. And God said to Gideon, the ones that drink with their head down, get them out of here. The ones that drink with their hands and lap like a dog, keep them. And it was 300 men that lapped from their hand like a dog. Let me say this. Hands wins battles, not heads. I want to tell you what this means because you're looking at me like, huh? Our hands help us deal with the types of battles that we deal with. We have, we have to fight. So as an example, let's just look at a couple of them. There is battles we fight within, internal, and there's battles we fight externally, not within ourselves, but against the enemy, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities of darkness, correct? So let's look at Moses. When Moses was battling within himself about going to his people to be their deliverer. There was this struggle. And he had this conflicting conversation with God. And in the course of a few verses, God used his hands, Moses' hands, to prove that he had, that he had been chosen and that he was ready for what was going to occur in his near future. God said to Moses, Moses, what's that in your hand? And he said hand over and over and over again in the course of a few verses. Moses said a rod. God said, Moses, cast that rod out of your hand onto the ground. The Bible says that Moses casted it out of his hand and the rod turned into a serpent. 
And then God said, Moses, with your hand, pick the serpent up by the tail. Moses reached down and picked the serpent up by the tail with his hand, and the serpent became a rod again in his hand. Then God said to Moses, Moses, stick your hand inside your cloak. Moses stuck his hand inside his cloak. He pulled his hand out of his cloak, and his hand became leprous, filled with disease, unable, not powered enough to do what he was called to do. Then God said, Moses, take your hand and put it back inside your cloak. And he took his hand and he put it back inside his cloak. Then God said, Moses, pull your hand out of your cloak again. And he pulled his hand outside of his cloak and his hand was healed and his hand was back to normal. And there is a big, big message that we can get to in this today. But what we do learn is that when God gets you ready, when God gets you ready to free your brothers and sisters, and when God gets you ready to deal with your enemy, he's not going to just deal with your intellect because your intellect can lie to you, can confuse you, can be the seat of fear. What God is going to use out of your life is what's in your hands and how we allow God to heal the process of what our hand has even been through. So what, what is in our hands matter? They was drinking with their hands, not with their head. And because they were drinking with their hands, they was ready to be used by God and they was chosen to be used by God. But the battle don't stop there. So the hands is not only used by God for the battles within, it's also used by God for the battle on the outside. So Moses went through this process, as you know, of 10 plagues. And finally, Pharaoh said, okay, let these jokers go. And the jokers left, and it was millions of them. But then all of a sudden, Pharaoh got mad, and he got angry. And he's like, I'm not going to lose to these little, the, 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 these little Jews. And so he sent his army to destroy them. And the Bible says that Moses and Israel came to the Red Sea. And Moses stood at the Red Sea. In front of them was the sea. Behind them was the enemy enemy. And then God said, Moses, raise your hand. And Moses raised his hand. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that a wind began to blow, clouds began to de decease, and then it turned into darkness on one side and light on the other side. Listen to me now. When you raise your hands with the authority of God, the supernatural begins to move. Eyes begins to close, and then eyes begin to open. Eyes of the flesh closed and eyes of the spirit begin to open and the eyes was open and over the course of a night the waters begin to depart begin to separate and there was dry ground for Israel to walk on they crossed the sea on dry ground but yet here come Pharaoh here come Egypt and then God said to Moses Moses raise your hand once again and Moses raised his hand once again and he commanded the sea to enclose on itself. And the sea enclosed upon itself. And the enemy was destroyed. Why was the enemy destroyed?
destroyed, not because it's Moses' fault, not because Moses' voice, not because Moses was special to God. My goodness, the enemy was defeated because Moses' hand was ready to do what God had called it to do. And all Moses did was obey God with the power of his hand. And the power of his hand overcame the work of the enemy. Woo, smack somebody, slap them, wake them up, say, that's good, that's good. What does the hand represent? That's all good and well, but it's not the best if you don't know what it represents. See, the hands are important for numerous reasons. Can I just hit a few of them? They're important because of what we hold on to and what we let go of. What you hold on to can determine whether or not you win or lose the battle. And what you let go of can determine whether or not you win or lose the battle. Come on, I got some people in here with some testimonies. You know what I'm talking about. You let go of some stuff, and God gave you some victory. Come on, can I get an amen from somebody? Come on, don't be a boring church. Can I get a hallelujah, and can I get an amen? Come on, you know God done done something in your heart. You let go of something out of obedience to the Lord, and God blessed you, amen? But then, now don't raise your hands on this next one. We get, we, we get some other people here in the church, and they choose to hold on when God was saying, let go. And guess what? They still bound. They still lack. They ain't getting ahead. They ain't got the victory. They ain't walking powerful. They pray, but the prayers ain't being answered. They give, but as the Bible says, there's holes in the pockets, and anything they get, they lose. See, the hand is important because it allows us to hold on or let go. It's also important because it allows us to grab onto some important things. Sometimes on our, on our journey of faith, we got to hold on to a tool because God wants us to go to work. Look at somebody and say, work it, baby. Come on, look at somebody and say, work it, baby. Work it, baby. Work it, baby. She done gave me another look, y'all. Oh, she done gave me another look. I better. She gonna get mad at me at the at home, but I'm gonna be like, work it, baby. Work it, baby. She's gonna get all soft and get all melty, and I'm gonna be, work it, baby. Work it, baby. <laughs> hey, can we have some fun? We're a family church. Man, I've been married for 30 years this year. I've been married because she's been working it, baby. Working. Sometimes God wants us to work it. And sometimes God wants us to grab a weapon. And he wants us to fight. Go to battle. If you ain't got your hands, if you're not using your hands, you can't work and you can't fight. Another thing God uses our hands for is with intimacy with people. Helping, supporting, affection. He also uses hands 
when there's conflict with people. Jacob grabbed onto the angel of the Lord in the midnight hour, and he would not let go. And his terminology was this, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. So sometimes it's the grabbing of our hands through enduring that causes us to be blessed the way God has called us to be blessed. But if you don't know how to use your hands, you're not going to know who, what, or how to grab onto something. And therefore, you may not get your blessing if you ain't got your hands. And then our hands is an extension of our worship. Looking at the temple, a sacrifice was made first. How can you sacrifice something without your hands? Then move on a little bit further. There was the altar of incense, which was pleasurable worship. How can you burn incense onto the Lord if you don't have your hands to put incense into the little container and to light it with some fire? See, Our hands is an extension of our worship. Now, we can choose blessing and we can choose curse. And that's what the Bible says. And I personally believe, even though directly the Bible doesn't say this, I personally believe that our blessing and our cursing is a byproduct of how we bless with our hands and how we curse with our hands. What we do with our hands and what we don't do with our hands. So Israel, the 300 men, was doing what they were supposed to be doing. But it didn't stop with their hands. They also put themselves in a position to see. They were lapping with their hands, but they were able to look with their eyes. They was under an attack. Why were they under an attack? They wasn't just at war. They was under an attack. The enemies had already came into their territory. They had already taken what was theirs. Like if a robber came into your backyard and hadn't hadn't made it into your house yet, I think you would label that that you are under an attack. Israel was under an attack, and they needed their hands, but they also needed their eyes. And the way they drank that water shows us that they was able to keep seeing what they needed to keep seeing. See, they was able to look for the possibility of an attack. They was able to see what the enemy was capable of, and they could perceive what could possibly happen to them. All because they drank In a way, their heads was up and their eyes continued to see. So their heads was up. In other words, they had readied themselves for an attack. It also meant that they were aware of the enemy's presence. And at any moment, he might try to come upon us. It technically meant they were in a position to fight. You see that? Most likely, they had a a spear or a sword next to them, shield on the other side. The ones that was chosen was drinking. In any given moment, they could grab, stand up, and ready to go to war. Amen? 
the others. Possibly weapons next to them, but their hands was in the mud. How many of you ever had mud fights? You got you guys are in the country. I was raised in Mississippi. We had all kind of mud. Man, we had mud fights with pipes. You know, you get you get mud in the pipe and you sling that pipe. You can sling that mud like a bullet. Those boogers hurt. We had mud fights with our hands. We'd get a big old mud ball and smoke one another with it. The bad one is if you put a pine cone inside the mud ball. Man, that one hurt. Or a rock. That was even worse. But the one thing about mud is you can't grab very good. And your reflexes is a whole lot slower. So not only was their heads down, not only were they unable to see, if they did hear a commotion, they would have to jump up and be like, and then grab their weapons, and by then they might have an arrow to the throat. You see, they didn't have the faith, or they might have had the faith, excuse me. They, they had the faith, excuse me. They wasn't ready. All because how they drank their water and how they used their hands. Their eyes was on the wrong thing. When you are under attack, it's very important that you force, your, force yourself to see the right things and not get distracted on the things that can take your eyes off what the enemy is doing. Proverbs 29:18 says, where there is no vision, some version says revelation, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law happy is he, he is he. This is not a verse for you to get a vision so that you can accomplish your goals. Oftentimes, and I can't tell you how many times, I've heard this verse preached that way. Now, I believe in that principle. If you have a goal and a plan, you need some visualizations. I do believe in that, and I believe there's other scriptural references for that, but not this one. What Proverbs is talking about if you're not seeing the right way, if you're not getting the right revelation, some interpretations of it even says prophetic vision. So if you're not able to see what God is wanting you to see, guess what? You're going to perish. When you don't see, you die. They were seeing the wrong thing because they was thinking about the wrong thing. Our eyes goes to where our mind is at, whether that be physical eyes or mental eyes. They were thinking about, possibly thinking about being thirsty, being uncomfortable, not having their needs met, what they want to do after this. Some of them was probably thinking, man, I should have said I'm scared so I can go back home. What was going on in them led their eyes to not see what it needed to see. They were so focused on the water 
that they stop seeing the possibility of being defeated by the enemy. Let me ask you this question, moms and dads, males and men and women. What are you looking at? Is your head down and all you're looking at is provision, your cares, your comfort, your needs? Or is your head up, you're drinking the right way, and your eyes is on the activity of the enemy? How are you drinking? How are you living? We have to live. They had to drink. What I'm really asking you is how are you drinking? How are you seeing in relation to how you are living? Got to keep living. Amen? We got responsibilities. We got needs. We have desires. We got to work. We got to eat. We don't got to, but it's nice to play. So there's water life that we have to consume. The problem is not that we want to eat, drink, sleep, and be merry. But the problem is we eat, drink, sleep, and become merry with our head down, our eyes down, our hands in the mud, and we're not ready for the fight that's about to happen in our life. And however you need to do it, that's between you and God. You need to prepare yourself so that you can drink water, but at the same time, have your eyes on the enemy's activity and to have your hands clean, not muddy, clean and ready to fight. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally through this message and continues to encourage you throughout the coming weeks.